Aloha, and welcome to the second season of Coffee with Coach. This is Jeff Reinbold, and this is our first edition of our second season. And Michael, get on out here, man. I got to talk to you because you are just barely, almost two weeks off of your uh, Super Bowl adventure where you covered the Super Bowl, sat in the press box, covered the Super Bowl for the Irish NFL show. Have you come down to earth, my man? No, uh, that was obviously incredible. And, and thank you to yourself, Jeff, and to everyone at the NFL for the, the help, the support, everything. It wouldn't have happened without yourself. Unreal. Um, great season. Uh, I actually, you sort of sit this week and you look back at the season that we've all had together. And it's it's hard to believe that we've uh, seven months of this now just to talk talk football. You're back in Hawaii. I don't know how many hours you are behind us. And uh, yeah, it, look, yeah, look, incredible experience, Jeff. Unreal. What was the best thing? If you could say one takeaway of the whole, you know, the whole time you were there and the game and post game and all of it. I really don't want to start like coming across. I don't want to rub it. In. I think walking into the press box and you know, like you know, you're getting like uh, burritos with Peter King's behind you and stuff like that. There, like That's that was a bit mad. But like the whole experience, I can't describe it. Like it's it's worth like the money people pay. It's it's incredible. Uh, it's, I guess, it's once in a lifetime sort of thing. And hopefully we can maybe replicate that sort of thing over here. Easy as well. now, easy now, easy now on that once in a lifetime talk there, buddy. Because you got to be, that's going to be the first in a lifetime of them. I think too, you know, because uh, when I when I knew you guys were going to go, right? And I knew before you knew that you were going to go, but I couldn't tell you, right? Which was really <laughs> hard because you and I are good friends, right? But when I knew you guys were going to get a couple spots in the press box, I got kind of teary-eyed, to be honest with you, because I thought about the first time I went in there and, you know, you're working. And like you say, all of a sudden, there's all these journalists from all over the world, the guys that you have read their stuff and, you know, like. And, and then the other one that really struck me is when, like, you go into the booth and it's got Sky Sports NFL on it, right? And for you guys, the same thing when you get when you got to press row and it says the Irish NFL show and there's your you know, there's your seats and you look at it and go, oh, man, I'm not in Dublin anymore. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty awesome. But that's the funny thing, because like we were literally in Dublin the week before and people don't even know because we had a show and we never explained. Jeff nearly missed his flight back. My, my car was clamped, loads of stuff. But it was great crack in, in Dublin. And I know. Um, Everyone really enjoyed it. And you know what? From even sitting listening to you, it was great crack. And I really enjoyed it. You're right, because Jeff told me it, it'll not hit you to there. It didn't hit me to the anthem started. I was like, this is you know, and the other one, <laughs> the other one that's always still to this day, still everyone I do go to. The one the the thing I love is to watch the confetti come down. And especially if you know any of those guys. And you know, I've had an opportunity to be around a number of those Ram guys and um, Sean McVay and to see just the, it's the same way I felt when I saw it happen for Coach Vermeil. It's almost like more of a relief than it's an elation that they've ever that they won the game because it's such a huge burden on your shoulders. If like because McVay and Vermeil's journey is kind of the same, you know, the first time that Coach took the Eagles to the Super Bowl. They did not play very well and got blown out by the Raiders. And, you know, Sean took the 
took the uh, Rams and, and got blown out by the Patriots. And then you always wonder, you know, there's that question, just like it is for quarterbacks, can you win the biggest game, all of that stuff. So let's talk about it. games now. Let's move on to the day. Great news on the uh, on this schedule. How about this, sports fans? As they the Packers, the Saints, the Jags, the Bucks, and the Cardinals all hosting international games. The Bucks for the first time ever. On German soil, a regular season NFL game. Arizona goes back to Mexico City, where they have a huge following. Um, one of our one of our uh, ex NFL Europe offensive linemen is playing down there, uh, or excuse me, had played for the Cardinals. Is now works in their community relations department. He he does a great job. I know they're excited about going back to Mexico, but. When you think about the Packers, we're going to hit this later on the show, but when you think about the Packers, Mike, getting the Packers to give up a home game to come and play internationally and to be the 32nd of 32 teams to now play in London, I think, you know, as a coach, you're always looking for confirmation of validity, you know, confirming the things that you're you're coaching or teaching. Well, there's no more greater confirmation of the validity of, the fandom in the UK than having the Green Bay Packers coming to London to host the game. What can I say? Uh, the NFL PR department, David Tossel, Henry Hodgson, everyone involved there. Like, there's a lot of people. How they kept that quiet? I, I haven't tweeted this out. I was stunned when that was announced. I was like, "What? No, come on!" Because I thought it was going to be the Bears or the Vikings as the fair team. Because we were sort of in secrecy in that fair team. The Saints were going to be there. The Jags obviously going to be there. It's unbelievable. I know Steve Diddy is going to come on from uh, UK and Irish Packers later on. And also, Jeff, you've put this tweet earlier on. We're going to read out every response before the end of the show, so you can get on the Jeff's Twitter account and read it out. But look, I'm, I'm buzzing. I'm not just buzzing about the Packers. I'm buzzing about Munich. I've gambled and booked the flights. So. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, so, I, our, our, our buddy Will Gavin said, "Hey, be careful there, didn't he?" <laughs> well, it's it's funny, like because like the the flights are like what tw- tw- like they're like twenty or thirty quid. So I booked a couple of weekends, hoping that's that that's the one. Because once it's announced, it's going to be mad. There's only one flight from Dublin, so I've yeah, I'm going to Munich. Regardless, I might go the weekend before if it is that case. It, it, P- Peter King said this morning it's going to be week nine or week ten. I personally think like I have no idea. Uh, Week six, week seven, week eight in London, week nine in Munich. Everyone goes back over, back, back home to America. I think that's probably what's going to work. Or maybe they might take five and six and seven, take a break in between, get over to Germany. But I'm thinking, no, like I, I think it'll be November the fifth or November the thirteenth. There's a lot of talk yeah. about the Bundesliga ending early, but it'll be know. awesome no matter what time they play. Hey, uh, you know, coming up in the National Football League, and, and during during our weekly shows, we talk about what's happening around the league right now. There's uh, a lot of talk about the Colts proposing changes to the overtime rules, which I think are well, well deserved. That's got to come. Uh, Hall of Fame game: Jaguars and the Raiders going to get an opportunity to tee it up against one another in what what normally is a meaningless game, but to these teams, I think it's going to have some ramifications because Doug Peterson's first opportunity to take a Jaguar team on the field, and Josh McDaniels the same thing with the Raiders. That extra game is really key to those franchises as they, you know, start to, you know, hopefully turn it around. Jameis Winston is starting to run. And if you are a Saints fan and a Jameis fan, you know, that's good news because he's coming off of the that 
serious knee injury. And, and again, they could do so, so much right now uh, that they could never do previously with the injuries and the rehabilitation and all that. But it's good to see Jameis on his feet and running. I think the NFL, Troy Vincent said the NFL is going to relook at the taunting rule because, you know, that's one of those ones that kind of be careful what you wish for. And I got to, I got to say, apologize if you can hear a saw in the background. We're redoing it's our fine. house. It's fine. We're redoing Don't be our right. house. So uh, the, the guys are in here. Um, hey, look. <laughs> oh, and Thomas says, woo, it's tribe time. A little coach and surfing dog. Duke the Wonder Dog. Great to have you with us. David Crook, Coach Crook, great to have you with us. B-Dubs is in from Northern Alberta, Canada. Canada represented today on Coffee with Coach. Make sure when you get in and you get to Michael that you tell us where you're getting in from so we can get your get your uh, uh, props, that, the props that you deserve. Um, combine's coming, which means – the focus now for all the coaches and and personnel guys and every four, you know, all of the 32 franchises is going to the draft. And we have a special draft guy this year. Uh, Ali Hodgkinson is a works for Pro Football Network and does the draft for them. Ali's joining us today. Welcome to Coffee with Coach Ali in what we hope is going to be a weekly look at the NFL draft and the positions of the NFL draft. How's it going, coach? Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's our pleasure, man. It's our pleasure because we love to talk ball and you make the draft a focus of your life, really, at this time of year. And we're going to start out with the number one position that everybody wants to talk about because it's the most important position in football. And, you know, my, my partner in crime up here, Michael, is – He's hanging on every word that you're going to say because his Denver Broncos are in need of a quarterback badly. So let's get started. Talk to us about this class of quarterbacks, Ali, how you see it, and, and let's talk about a few of the guys. Well, let's, let's start off with, firstly, we're going to talk about Malik Willis because for him, for me, he's the, he's the best quarterback in this class. But let's talk about the quarterback class just as a whole because – it's a class that has had it's taken its lumps. It's been described by me as murky. If you're a team that is desperate for a quarterback in the 2022 NFL draft class, you probably want to be able to turn the clock back to 2021 or you want to turn the clock forward to 2023 rather than taking a, a gamble on any of these guys. In all honesty, it, the, this draft class, this quarterback class has kind of given this whole NFL draft class as a whole, a bit of a bad name. You you hear people going, oh, the 2022 NFL draft's a, a really terrible NFL draft class. Oh, there's no talent in the 2022 NFL draft class. And that's predominantly because of the quarterback situation. You come off a historic year like we saw last year with Trevor Lawrence, with Zach Wilson, and Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, with Trey Lance, with Mac Jones, all going in the first round. Historic class to a class where for a lot of people, there isn't a quarterback in this class worthy of a first round selection. Um, so it's kind of tempered the whole people's whole opinion towards the NFL draft class just on the basis of this murkiness of the quarterback situation. Well, let's get to Malik because that's a guy that surprises me, frankly. Now, is he your number one rated guy, Ollie? 
He's my number one rated quarterback, yeah. And, and as I said before, there is, um, there's, there's potentially going to be three or four quarterbacks taken in this first round, but I wouldn't say that there's three or four first-round quarterbacks. Now, in my big board, which you can find over at Pro Football Network, and is coming um, as part of the 2022 NFL Draft Guide for Pro Football Network, you'll find a big board there. Malik Willis is my 42nd overall rated prospect, but he's my quarterback one in this class. And I'll tell you why Malik Willis is the quarterback one for me of this class. And you look at what the NFL is trending towards. So mobile quarterbacks who can get it done off out of structure, off script, however you want to say it, but also possess incredible arm talent to be able to drive the ball down the field. That is Malik Willis. That statement there is Malik Willis. Arm talent for days. There is, for me, not a kid in this class who can throw a ball the way that Malik Willis can. And it's not just, oh, can this kid throw it 70 yards down the field, 60 yards down the field? Can he fit it into tight windows? Can he put zip on the ball on short intermediate throws? Yes, he can. Um, there's some issues with Malik Willis. There's issues with all these quarterbacks. We'll, we'll get to that shortly. But incredible arm talent, incredible creative mobility. Um is just dangerous, elusive mover, I think is probably the best way to put it. I, I don't like quarterback comparisons, but the league is trending towards guys like Michael Vick, like Lamar Jackson. Michael Vick started it off. Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, guys who can extend, guys who can throw. Malik Willis is that kid. And on top of that, he's an incredible leader. Um, a man of faith, a kid who um commands his teammates i had the opportunity to speak to malik during the 2020 um college football season his first his breakout season for liberty and at the time he was earning comparison to cam newton because of the way that he can run with the ball the way that he can throw the ball and i said to malik willis hey, malik what do you make of these this you know these cam newton comparisons and he was like I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in helping this team win. I'm helping. I'm interested in elevating the guys around me. That's what I'm interested in. I, I, and 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 that's what he is. You know, this is what the kid is. You you listen to him in press conferences. You see what he was like off the field at the Senior Bowl and how NFL teams have absolutely raved about the communication that they had with Malik Willis. Particularly the Pittsburgh Steelers have been. Um, it, it appears that they're very smitten with Malik Willis based off their exposure to him at the Senior Bowl. And um, yeah, that, that's what the kid is. You know, over 5,000 passing yards in the last two seasons, over 1,800 rushing, rushing yards, over 70 combined touchdowns. The, the kid's a, a phenomenal talent that just needs a little coaching, a little work. You, you know all about the little coaching aspect, coach. I think, I, you know what? It's interesting, Ali. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a scary one to me. And I'm going to tell you why he's scary. You mentioned all of those guys. Right. And if you look at the winning percentage of those quarterbacks and their success rate, and I'm talking about what they're able to do, translating it to the next level, it's not very good. And there has, with the exception of Russell Wilson, there has not been a Super Bowl winning quarterback who is one of those kinds of quarterbacks. I'm concerned. And, and again, if I'm if I'm evaluating him. One of the concerns that I have, especially at the quarterback position, is level of competition. And I think we've seen that with Trey Lance, right, where there's an extremely athletic, got all the arm. Because you're right. Your evaluation, in my opinion, is right on. His He has tremendous arm talent, the best arm in the draft. 
He's not a big guy, 6'1", right? But he has elusiveness and all those factors that you talked about. My concern is the steepness of the jump that a player who played at a Liberty or like Trey Lance or North Dakota State, all of a sudden you're playing against the guys that, excuse me, let me put it this way. It's probably a little better for fans to understand. Everybody that you lined up against as a college player, you ain't, they, they ain't on the field anymore, right? Where if you're like, in the SEC or the ACC or any of the power five schools, you're facing better competition, particularly the SEC and the ACC. So I'm really curious. I think this kid has the maybe the highest ceiling of the kids in this draft. And I don't like this quarterback class, I'll be honest with you. But it's going to be fascinating to me to watch how he goes. I thought you hit on something really important with this kid, though. Transfer from Auburn where he threw 14 passes his entire time at Auburn, right? Had less time on the field than Joe Burrow had probably at Ohio State, I think. But came to Liberty and just put the program on the map, really. And what I would say to your to your point about competition, I completely agree. Um, the, what, what hasn't helped Malik Willis in terms of some of the things that will be held against him in the NFL draft process is also the level of talent that he's playing with. The offensive line at Liberty is terrible. Wide receiver caliber at Liberty is terrible. But you look at you look at Virginia Tech in 2020. That's ACC. You mentioned the ACC and Power 5 opposition. Malik Willis was outstanding against Virginia Tech. The big games that he played in 2020, he was outstanding. He played Ole Miss this year. Yeah, it was an absolute disaster. But we come back to you're playing against all Miss guys, SEC guys, guys like Sam right. Williams, who right. is is sensational, with right. an offensive line that, you know, I, I could you know, no disrespect to Liberty. I think me, you, Michael, we make a, a better offensive line than what Liberty put out this year for for Malik Willis, and you can't expect him to go out against a team like Ole Miss and perform. But you look what he did at the Senior Bowl; he was comfortably the best Senior Bowl quarterback against. Some of the, I think the Senior Bowl did a great job this year of putting together the best rosters that they've had. The cornerbacks that went to Mobile were incredible, and, and Mobile and, and Malik Willis was the best quarterback down in Mobile, potentially by a country mile. So I think yeah, the, the level of competition we held against him, some of his decision making isn't great. How he reads the field isn't particularly great, but some of that's coaching, some of that's the, the talent that he played with at Liberty. Um, and the, like you said, the ceiling, the upside that you get him in a in a in an NFL system, an NFL team that will give him a little bit of patience. I, I think you're looking at a star player in the NFL. I, I, I think too, we got to remember that his good years when he was really because he did not have a great senior season, right? He was good, he wasn't great, right? But a couple of years ago, when he really lit it up. He had some NFL guys around him. He Liberty had a, a stretch of good players. So that again is is I think uh, you know fits into what you're saying about put put players around this kid and let his let his natural ability take hold. Okay, who you got at number two? So at number two, we have got we just talked about Ole Miss. We've got Matt Corral, the quarterback from Ole Miss, and Matt Corral is a difficult 
one because he seems to have fallen a little bit off the general media radar. He wasn't down at the senior ball. Um, he's announced today that he's not going to throw at the combine either. So that just leaves his Ole Miss pro day for him to, to go out and show what he's all about. But again, like Malik Willis, he's got incredible arm talent. Um, you watch the season opener against Louisville. Matt Corral put a ball on a rope to um, Don Terry Drummond, I think it was, on the sideline. That it makes you just go, Whew, there's not many guys who can make a pass like that. And like, like, Malice, uh, like Malik, he's got um, some athletic ability, mobility um, as a runner. He's not the same type of runner as Malik Willis. He's more of a tough, grind it out put himself all or nothing on the line, which will cause concerns at the NFL level because the kid's only 6'1", 205 pounds. And he, that might cause some concern for, for people at the next level. But I love what he does with his legs, love what he does with his arm. I thought he showed clear progression through the 2021 season in terms of his poise, his decision-making. Because this is a kid who threw like 13, 14 interceptions in the course of two games in the 2020 season. And he kind of not eradicated that, but he certainly improved significantly in terms of his poise and decision-making in, in that respect this season. So at the moment, Matt Corral is, the, I think for me, my quarterback too. I think it's um, these they're all very close. So if you look at my top five quarterbacks in terms of their overall position, 42 Malik Willis, 44 Matt Corral, 46 Kenny Pickett, 49 Sam Howell, 53 Carson Strong. They're all very close. There's a lot of fluidity. There's a lot of movement potential um, in there. So, yeah, I, I really like Matt Corral. I think he's he's overcome a lot of stuff in his personal life as well, which showcases the level of character that he has. He's shown he's able to deal with adversity. When times are tough, he's shown he can dig deep and come up with the goods. Um, and I think that will play well um, for Matt Corral in this process. And there's a comment there, Jeff, from Claire saying about, you know, not flowing at the scouting combine. Ollie, do you think the, the injury that he's had in the Sugar Bowl is going to set him back in the draft? Or do you think it's a non-issue when we get to April? Yeah, he's certainly not going to throw at the combine because of the injury. Uh, and there's several players announced today that they won't work out different positions. They won't work out at the combine because of the rehabbing from injury. Derek Stingley, the cornerback out of LSU, he won't work at the combine. He's coming off season-ending foot, season foot surgery. Matt Corral was injured, took a real beating as well in the 2021 uh, season. So he that's one of the reasons he won't throw at combine. There can, be, there can be multiple reasons. A lot of kids prefer the comfort of a pro day. Um, with they, you know, they can put set schematic all drills in place in terms of throwing for quarterbacks. They're comfortable with the the guys they're throwing to. They're comfortable with the surroundings. And and why wouldn't you give yourself? This is essentially the the next two months of the a job interview, the biggest job interview of your life. Why would you not give yourself the best opportunity um, to go out there and, and put your best self on show? Let me let me tell you something, guys, about that. That, that whole thing, and this is really important that people understand this. I think that the day has changed. The, the players recognize now and the agents understand that they're in, in the power position here, not the league. And so a, a number of guys for years, and I'm talking about for years, it was a well understood fact amongst football people that the turf in Indianapolis was slow. Uh, and so 
kids would go down there and they would run and they wouldn't run a good 40 time. And some organizations put so much stock in the measurables that finally people started started to say, hey, I'm not running at the combine. I'm going to run at my pro day. Well, then the quarterbacks figured out, how am I supposed to have to show off my accuracy when I'm throwing balls to guys that I have never thrown a ball to? I have no idea how he's going to come out of that hook route. I have no idea where he's going to be on the post. And so now it looks like I'm tentative in my throwing or not accurate with my throwing. So it's one of the things that the agents are, you know, they actually had, this is fascinating stuff too, because there was talk about the agents getting together and like a union and saying, okay, we want to change the combine in a number of ways, you know, whether it was from masking for, for safety purposes, social distancing, the way the, you know, the things are held. Every team does it differently. I remember when Al Saunders came in, Al was the uh, assistant head coach. I'm trying to think where he was, Kansas City, I think, at that time, and worked out Emmanuel Sanders. And I thought he was going to kill him. I was on the field for the entire workout. And Emmanuel ran for 45 straight minutes, right? But part of what Al wanted to see was how tough the kid was. How, you know, would he, you know, when he got tired, would he, you know, would he keep pushing through? So it's a, it's an interesting, interesting thing. What do you make of that, Ali, about not him not throwing? Now, if it's an injury issue, I got it, right? Because you don't want to put your, you know, you, you only get, you only get one time to make a first impression. So what do you, what's your feeling on guys not working at the combine if they're healthy? Like I said before, it's, you, you've got to put yourself in the best position. What you do by not, in my opinion, what you do by not participating in the combine is you raise questions. So why, the, you know, we've had the question right there. Why why would a quarterback not throw at the combine? So you're inviting the questions of people to say, well, why isn't this kid doing this? Why, what is he scared of? Why won't he throw him at the combine? Why, why won't he run at the combine? Why, you know, any drill, you can, you can put it to any position or any, um any drill there's always going to be the question of well why did that kid not do that at the combine um so for, for me i think you, you you've put yourself in the best opportunity to showcase what you've got uh, but for, for matt corral it's certainly the injury thing um i just don't think it helps in his process at the moment because everyone's talking about malik willis at the moment everyone's talking about Sam Howell. Everyone's talking about Kenny Pickett. No one's really talking about Matt Corral until today where he says he's not going to throw at the combine. And again, and now we wait another month or whatever it is until old Mrs. Pro Day. And it's just it's just one of those. It's in a in a class that is so tight, these little things might ultimately make a big difference, potentially, I think. Okay, who you got next? We've got Kenny Pickett next. Mm. Oh, now you you got the big Pittsburgh quarterback at number three. This is I gotta I gotta hear this one. <laughs> and and I know a lot of people love Kenny Pickett. I know a lot of people think that Kenny Pickett is the best quarterback in this class. He's certainly coming off an exceptional statistical season, over four thousand yards for Pitt this year. 42 touchdowns to just seven interceptions, completion percentage over 70, 67%. The kid had a statistically sensational season. Pitt, the best Pitt season for, you know, for Edda, the best ACC quarterback since Deshaun Watson. Lots to love about Kenny Pickett. I think he is a solid 
overall quarterback prospect. All right, I don't, wait, think... I don't go one step further, all right? <laughs> Mikey, put that graphic back up, will you? Can I just say very quickly, as I put this up, this is the guy that I could see my team drafting at number nine. All right, now, I want Seriously. everybody that's watching <laughs> this podcast and everybody that's watching this on YouTube, Twitter, no matter how you're getting this, take a look at Kenny Pickett's hand. All right? Oh, God. So come back now, Mike. Is there a more hot topic in quarterback evaluation right now than the size of Kenny Pickett's hand? There really isn't. There really isn't. Kenny, two gloves. Um, he's he's got so many nicknames. He could shake a baby's hand, and is you know still wouldn't make his hand look big. But um, it, it is a hot topic because there has been such a historical lack of success of quarterbacks with the sort of size of hand that he's got. Now, we we um, we had some inside information um, during the uh, the college football season about Kenny Pickett and his um, disjointed thumb, which allegedly, I'm not an expert by any stretch of imagination in people's how they use their hands, for want of a better phrase, but apparently Kenny Pickett's disjointed thumb does help mitigate some of the hand size concerns. He can, he does have no issues gripping an NFL football because of this, apparently. Again, I'm not an expert in, in hand size and, you know, but... Yeah, it's going to be it's a big talking point because of the historical lack of success. He didn't look great at the senior ball, um, especially when there was a little bit of inclement weather in Mobile. Some real accuracy issues there, but I think he's, he's solid all around. He plays well off script. He's he can make pretty much all the throws. He's not got an elite arm, but he's you know he can put some zip on the ball. He generates velocity nicely. He's mechanically pretty sound. He's just for me, Kenny Pickett's just a sound overall quarterback um, in terms of, of an evaluation. He's not elite in any stretch of the imagination, in any in any aspect. He's just solid, all-round guy. That right, sums now. up this draft, though, doesn't it? Because last year, Jeff, like, how many quarterbacks go in the first 15? Let me tell you something. <laughs> there's going to be there's gonna be four of them at least go in the first round this year. I'm telling you, it's because they're quarterbacks, not because they're – Ollie's right. There's not a single one that has that probably is going to carry a first round grade, but they'll probably be four drafted in the first round. Now, let me tell you about that hand size thing, right? If that was that big a deal, then you'd go to Harrods in the glove in the in the glove department and just wait right. for a young guy to come on, put a pair of extra larges on, and make yourself a quarterback. Stop it! I mean, stop it! I, I don't, I can't hear it. I just can't hear it because. That's that's there's a difference between information gathering and scouting, right? And information gathering is taking measurements and then saying, okay, based 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 upon measurements, right? Now, would you like him to have bigger hands? Yes, but Malik, we talked about Malik Willis. Malik Willis is, I think, six one. I think, right? Six foot dead, I believe. Yeah. So again, everybody's got, that's what's exactly what you said about this class. This is a class of ugly guys. Really. There's not a, there's not a Cinderella in this whole class. I'm telling you, they're not. 
It's just the way it is. Let, let's get on to the next guy because I'm fascinated by this guy too. <laughs> I'm I'm fascinated to hear what, why you're so fascinated about Sam Howell, coach. He's um, look, he's coming off the back of his statistically worst season for North Carolina. There's no two ways around it. But also, he's a record setter for the program. He's developed, well, he's had to develop this year a running mentality, over 800 yards. The, the offensive line for North Carolina, if anyone, if you've not watched college football this year, think of the Miami Dolphins offensive line. Think of the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line from this last year. And that's North Carolina. And Sam Ouch. Howell's, well, this is what it is. And, South Car- and Sam Howell's had to, has had to find a way to survive. And that has been grinding it out on the ground, over 800 yards, 11 touchdowns. And, this is a kid who you mentioned size, six foot one, two hundred and twenty pounds. He's earned pretty much comparison to Baker Mayfield, um, pretty pretty much from the get go of his high school career. You know, these two have been kind of inextricably linked because of the their kind of style of play, because of the size, the, the sort of stout little guy that they are. I mean, I'm only six foot tall, so I really I shouldn't be calling it a little guy, I guess. But they actually look eerily alike too. They got that moustache thing going on. Um, but, he, um, yeah, I, I like Sam Howell. Like, he was a guy who had a good week at the senior ball. He, again, decent arm, can throw from multiple arm angles. What I like about Sam Howell compared to, say, someone like Matt Corral is um, in his ability to throw with anticipation, to throw receivers open, which is something Corral doesn't excel at. Uh, but, but Sam Howell... He, you know, he's 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 coming off a difficult season, which has undoubtedly impacted his NFL draft stock in terms of how the media have, have looked at him because he was a guy who was you know duking out with Spencer Rattler for the quarterback one of this 2022 NFL draft class coming into this season. So he has um, he has struggled a little bit this year, but a lot of that is down to the uh, the North Carolina offensive line, which just terrible. I, I, I agree with you, and I think that's a great evaluation of me. Very much in that regard, like if you just look at numbers, which some guys do, you'd say Willis and he didn't have great senior years, but you know he lost an awful lot of talent around him that that helped him play well as a junior and had to do way too much as a, I, I'm surprised the kid got through the season, the beating that he took. Yeah, and, and there's you know both him and Matt Corral really took beatings. The thing with Corral is he's a good 15, 20 pound lighter, and mm-hmm. at the NFL level, you cannot take a beating like Matt Corral took. Whereas Sam Howell is probably built a little bit better for it, and unless he lands in Cincinnati and they don't make any improvements, obviously Joe Burrow is there, so he's not going to land there. But he's not going to play behind a worse NFL, uh, offensive line in the NFL than he did for North Carolina this season. That was my point. Wow, he had 172 yards, Jeff. He had 172 yards. That's what I'm saying. The guy guy had to put the football team on his shoulders and basically carry it and shouldn't have had those kind of numbers because, you know, he lost two NFL running backs from from his junior year, right? Um, You know, I think you really, Ali, hit it on the head when you're talking about this group as a whole that, you know, if you say – the safest pick, you say pick it. If you say the most upside, you say, you know, you go with Willis. If you say somewhere in between, 
you'd say corral. But then you look at corral's body and you think about Tua Tagovailoa. You know, he's got that same kind of linear body. He's not very big. And he's a guy that, in the you know, when, when the big people start hitting him. Now, obviously, in the SEC, but he came out of that season chewed up and then went to the senior bowl and got chewed up. So, you know, there's a lot of questions about every single one of these guys. Yeah, there certainly is. There certainly is. And, and it kind of makes it incredibly interesting to to watch, to look at, to evaluate, to analyze. I like, like, like you guys, if you're looking for an NFL, you mentioned the Denver Broncos, you're looking for a quarterback this season. You're an NFL GM using a high first round pick on any of these guys. You, you're going to want to hope that that pays off because that's a job ruiner right there. Well, I've, yeah. I've watched the Pat McAfee show as much in my life, lads. I'm watching Pat McAfee every every Tuesday at six o'clock at the minute, hoping that Aaron Rodgers is somehow gonna gonna fight. Yeah, <laughs> hey, listen, I, I just really think that what the Rams have done is potentially change the entire dynamic, right? Because now, if you're a Broncos, if you're a Saints, if you're a uh, Vikings, potentially, if you're the teams that have pretty good football teams, right? And you're looking at this draft class and you're going to say, I'm going to take one of these guys and build a build a Super Bowl team around him. I think you got to look at history and start looking at, you know, the Baker Mayfields, you know, the the guys that have been first round picks trumped up first round picks that you know how many of those guys are sam darnold how many josh rosen how many of those guys are you know either off out of football in the last five years i was going to do this study and I'll, i will later but how many of those guys that got built into by the draft because the draft is just like college recruiting and you follow college football ollie college recruiting is a beauty contest and you have a you have a tendency to create a player as opposed to evaluate a player, and that's scary, especially at the quarterback position. So a Sam Darnold, who is the same guy that he was at USC when he went to the Jets, without the good supporting cast around him, is there any question that he's going to? Who's pro? I mean, it's not Sam Darnold's fault. Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold. Josh Rosen is Josh Rosen, right? Um, you know, I, so I think it's really scary. This is what's going to be interesting. Are you better off to put a first round draft pick in a trade to get a proven quarterback? Because look at the success rate of highly drafted quarterbacks in the last 10 years. It's not very good. Right. And so if you have to put a package together to go get an AR or one of the guys that's you know, let's say Russell Wilson or whomever, just uh, to me, it's a much more sound investment looking at this class. There's no Joe Burrow in this class, not even close in my opinion. But I, I think it's, it's interesting as well, because that, there's that situation. You give away your first round picks and bring in an experienced quarterback, a proven quarterback. Or do you use your first round picks on offensive line this year? Can you ride the storm out with a, 
and by building your offensive line this year and then maybe wait till next year and get a Bryce Young or you know get get someone of that caliber out of next year's class it very much depends how much on the hot seat you are as a coach as a GM mm-hmm. if you if you've got to get results instantaneously you're going to end up you're going to grab in and but if you if you've got a bit of job security you could build the offensive line out of this class and then hang it out for next year where you could bring in someone like CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. Ollie, we've got like two minutes. Who's, who's your last guy? Because this last guy said he'd be happy to even be drafted in the seventh round. Mr. Irrelevant. So <laughs> let's see who he is. I don't think I don't think Carson Strong is going to kick around to the seventh round, personally. But what I will say is that Carson Strong is an example of how this process can really bite you because this is a kid who has got the prototypical NFL size, 6'4", 226. He's not the statue that people make him out to be. He can escape and manipulate the pocket with with athleticism, kind of like Mac Jones, like we saw last year. He's got an exceptional arm. He's been playing in Nevada and he's been slinging it over those mountains. And he, um, but he, but he's a kid who went to the senior ball, didn't really impress there. What was even worse was he didn't impress off the field. Lots of reports and rumours about him interviewing really badly, um, which will impact his stock. And and that's where the combine is is potential for him to get that back because he's going to be on the whiteboard with NFL coaches. He's going to be able to talk with teams. He's going to be able to maybe undo some of that damage. But sounds like he didn't interview well. Certainly didn't perform well. Didn't run the Jets' offense to the way they wanted him to run it either which one of the big concerns about Carson Strong coming out of Nevada was that how would he transition from the Nevada offense to the NFL, to an, to an NFL offense? And those those questions really weren't answered. There was more questions out of the senior bowl. And then there's injury as well. Kid who had a serious knee injury in high school, played football in a brace for Nevada, had surgery last year um, on that knee injury. Lots of question marks for a really talented kid who's coming from a smaller school you, you need not to be having those question marks at this stage in the in the process when you you know you are battling with power five guys as Jeff mentioned earlier. It's it's exactly what you talked about, man. This is how the fact that we're even talking about that kid tells you just how thin this quarterback class really, really is, right? A, a guy with an injury history from the University of Nevada who you didn't play against power five competition doesn't wow you with his off the field stuff, doesn't have a great football background. There's a lot of things he doesn't do. And we're still talking about him as a potential first round draft choice is, is an indictment really of this class. But I will say this, my man, you knocked it out of the park. Who are we talking about next week? Hey, we talk about whoever you want, Jeff. Who do you want to talk about? Well, go uh, ahead, Michael, you make the call. Uh, let's like, like I'll hear Big thanks again to, 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 to the big Spence man last year. I think Spence went quarterback, running back. Do you even free all the offense? Are you went defense? Or yeah, let's go. Let's go, go running back. Hey, we can go yeah, running back. I've seen, a, I, I seen a comment in the uh, in the questions about running backs about Bryce Hall. Uh, well, they've put Bryce Hall, it's Brees Hall. But let's talk about running backs next week. Let's talk about Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller and Kenneth Walker and my guy Rashad White, who I absolutely love out of Arizona. State. I want a guy. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Electric. <laughs> I want an electric guy. Find me an electric guy and let's talk ball next week. Great job, Ollie. We'll bring, we'll bring you electric guys. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Michael. Ollie, f- thanks, Billy Man. See you next week. Cheers. Uh, right. at, what a great okay, job, Hodgkinson. Huh? 
Yeah, man, that was awesome. Like, and Ollie's on Pro Football Network. You can check him out at OJ Hodgkinson. Check out all the work on the website. They've got a draft guide coming out, Jeff. Now, I don't know if you can get that posted to Hawaii, but uh, hopefully it will. I'm gonna Here. get a, I'm gonna get a copy. And, and you know what? It's great to hear him go through that. And I thought he, I thought his as a football guy. Now I'm talking as a football guy, right? Not as a media guy. I thought he did an outstanding job of breaking those guys down exactly the way they are. And I think a tremendous, tremendous job by Ollie. And you know what's really cool about this? And this makes this is this is again the stuff that I love. Here's a guy who speaks with an English accent, and he's talking about breaking down the quarterbacks in the NFL draft for Pro Football Network. Have we come a long way? in europe with our, I, know, uh, our ability to understand the game I, I that says so much about what's going on in, in all over the world i i raise you well, the fantastic point english man's talking about the draft great content for, for molly looking forward to hearing this but like it's getting me involved in the draft as well so really looking forward to it i now raise you an irishman who's a a world famous world class Packers fan who's very happy uh, mr steve diddy i'm going to bring him in here jeff okay all in right okay an irish Packers. Steve, get Jeff. out of here, man. We got some talking to do. Man, oh, man, oh, man. They said it would never happen. We they said it. there's no way. As a matter of fact, from the lips of Aaron Rodgers came, we are sold out at home. I, I'm, this is a pretty close to direct quote. We are sold out at home for the next 30 years. There's no way they'll give up a home game to come to London. And guess who's coming to town? <laughs> happy days jeff look we've spoke over the years and it's been sort of a wasteland of pain um in the sense that they wouldn't come over now it's not the packers because we used to bug mark murphy every single time and say to him here you know when are you going to bring the game over like why isn't it overhead what's the machination set as a work and it was always that he had to get on a plane and fly to the opposing team because they would never give up a home game because it's too important in green bay you know they've eight home games it's a tiny tiny town we go every single year it's a religion over there. And so they were never going to give up a home game. And that's why he was like, look, Steve, and his name was Murphy too. So I thought the Irish connection might get something going. Uh, but he was like, look, it's, you know, we literally sit in front of the other owner and say, this is what we want to do. And it's worth so much money that there's, there's, they have the upper tier of pricing for the tickets. It brings 6 million quid into that town. So of course they're going to say no every single time. Uh, so now with the 17th game, They've done the unthinkable, which is to bring over unthinkable, Jeremy, as an Irishman, the unthinkable. Uh, and they brought over a home game. It's that additional home game that they brought over. Um, now, look, everyone in the UK Packers faithful, the, the Twitter is blown up, the Instagram's blown up. I mean, look, it's just everyone's going bananas. Um, but it's got a pretty mixed reception over in the States because the Packers love their football and they don't like that it's coming abroad. And I can totally understand that. But they have to think about it, Jeff is that if they come over, they get to hang out with Irishmen, Englishmen, Scotsmen, Welshmen, French, uh, German, just, Italian let me, Packer fans. Let me just say this one time. If you ever lose your Irish accent, we're never having you on the show again. Because that's one of the highlights <laughs> of having you on the show. <laughs> you have to get a hey, token patty on. You know what? You hit on a great, great... They're, I'm sure right now in Green Bay, they're like jilted lovers, right? They can't mm -hmm. understand why their team's taking a game away from them. When those Packer fans get off the plane at Heathrow and they see what they see, 
you know, at Hotspur Stadium and they get around the, the, the passion of Packer fans in the UK and yeah. Europe, they are going to say, let's come back every year. I guarantee it because it is going to be the biggest collection of cheeseheads ever, mm. ever put together. Yeah. I mean, you look at the fan groups and like, you know, we've done this fan group now for nine years and it's been blood, sweat and tears stuff. And it's been sort of trying to hoover up all of the different pockets of Packer fans all throughout the UK. And with you guys coming over and the knowledge that you give, Jeff, I mean, it's just grown the sport exponentially. So they that's the thing is that I don't think they understand how much of a home game it is. I think the Packers brass do because like we've trucked people over every year um, and our last tour actually was sold out. So we had a massive big bus going over. So it's going to feel like a home game for them because we've seen every player that comes over. What's the one thing that they say to you and Neil? It's like, it's like a Super Bowl. It's, you know, the way the fans react and like, if they just sort of, if they let that register and then someone else was saying like, uh, you know, if you're coming over from Wisconsin, even if you don't get into the game, Ireland is only a hop away. It's like 20 quid in a Ryanair flight or whatever it's going to be. There's so much around the UK, you know, Wales and Scotland at their doorstep as well. I mean, you know, I think it'll take time for it to settle in on them that they've, they've taken a home game away. Uh, but the reaction over here has been overwhelming. We have so many people, Jeff, who started listening um, to the uh, Air Force's radio and they would have to listen to the game. And then uh, we have other members. One guy actually went to the Ice Bowl against Dallas uh, that long ago. It's incredible. Like, and he's an, he's an English guy, you know. Um, and then other people used to have to get the, uh, the periodical, the, the magazine from delivered from the States. And they would read a play-by-play of the game a couple of weeks later and be riveted by you know, Lofton doing his thing or Lynn Dickey doing his thing, you know, so this Man, is a long time coming. I'm just saying that there are going to be, and and I don't, I, I'm not overstating this. I really mm. truly believe this. I think there are going to be Packer fans who will break down in tears mm. when they see that team come out of that tunnel and they're yeah. around 80,000 NFL fans and to think that the team that you never thought in your lifetime, because it's difficult, it's yeah. difficult logistically, it's difficult financially, it's difficult, all those things for a, for a fan to go from Ireland, to UK, Europe, mm. and spend a week and watch a game and all that stuff. So for a lot of people, this is, this is something that everybody said was never going to happen. And it's going to happen. You're going to be in that stadium. And those yellow helmets are going to show up in that end zone and mm. out they're going to come. And hopefully Aaron Rodgers and Jones and Devontae Adams and Bakhtiari yeah. and, you know, that tremendous football team mm. that is the most. And I'm not I think Cowboy fans could argue this. Maybe I don't think anybody else has a shot. Mm. The most historic and iconic franchise in the entire national football league is coming yeah. to europe well that's one of the questions i mean i've spent all day kind of jumping around the american stations that's one of the things that they can't get their head around is how we became fans but it's like you say it's the history of it you know because like i always say when you look into it at the start you see falcons and lions and bears and they're all animals and you get it and then you see a packer and you go what the hell is a packer and then you're looking up the animal encyclopedia you can't find what a packer animal is <laughs> and then it brings it right back to the acme packers and the curly lambo and all that kind of stuff 
um, which is just incredible. And then as uh, Claire the Bear, who's uh, in the mentions here, she's talking about the rivalry between the Bears and the Packers, which they had soccer scores when they start. There was more fights would break out than points. Um, so it's so historic from that regard, which is why, Jeff, it's really heartwarming because every other team has kind of got their shot. You know, we've seen every other team come over to London um, and we haven't seen the Packers come over. And the team has so much to offer in the sense of history and legacy. And we see t- people always sort of um, say it's a bad thing. You know, when people jump on the East team. So we've got an awful lot of Chiefs fans because of Patrick Mahomes or the Seahawks Legion of Boom had a lot of Seahawks fans. You know, from running the group, like I absolutely love when that happens because you love your team so much. And then when you see fans, if they're, because we're always on Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football, which seems like a prestigious, nice thing, but you know more than anybody else. That means you're in the studio till 5 a.m. And it's like us, we're watching early in the morning. So I'm really looking forward to that influx of brand new fans who I know is your target too, because, you know, you roll out the info for people to get the, the game more accessible to them. So now you're going to be doing that for people who are going to be brand new Packers fans. And I think that's really exciting because as you said, they can go right back to 1919 earlier in Wisconsin if they want, back to the 18, late 1800s, when all the paddies used to go over. That's what they said to the Irishman, Jeff, and it's not a word of a lie. Mick will back me up. A lad literally went up to the Irish of Green Bay and said, he's want to beat each other at the bits. And they said, uh, well, no, we don't want to go to prison. They said, no, it's on a football field. It's legal. <laughs> then they were like, yay. <laughs> so that's the thing. I mean, there's so much history there for anybody from the UK. Uh, and look at Reggie White. He came from NFL Europe. Uh, you know, so when you look at the, the likes of that type of stats and you look at the, the background of it, um, it's just, it's incredible. I can't wait. And as well as that, Jeff, we can't, dis- we can't discount, can we? Packers Germany, Packers France, Packers Italy. Exactly. London is the European hub. There's going to be people over there speaking German, Italian, French, every language under the sun going to be standing there with us cheering on the game. Steve, I don't know if you caught it, but we just got a little, We got, as they say in, in the UK, uh, Claire just took the mickey out of us a little bit because she's <laughs> she got her bear fandom is is beyond belief. But um, what do you guys got going on? Have, have, y'all, have you started to think about, you know, what you guys might do around this thing because it's such a monumentous occasion. Yeah, well, I mean, we're we're closely linked to the Packers. So we have Mark Murphy on the podcast tomorrow. Um, so we're going to be chatting to him about it. Uh, hopefully we'll be working with the Packers then to do certain events. They're always great for their pep rallies. And I don't think that's going to be confined to just London. I think that'll be sort of spread out elsewhere. Um, I, so- hey, hey, I saw that. I saw that Murphy wants to have a, wants to have a pep rally. Yeah. And- Neil is already openly campaigning for it. So my vote's with Neil. Make sure you get Neil to be the MC of the pep rally. Oh, 100%. As long as I can have a, a some sort of a, a, a thing on stage and get all the Packers fans in. Because that's what I'd love to do, block booking. If we could organize block booking for the fans. Because that's the number one question we've got asked today is, you know, what can we do around tickets? And uh, we're trying to work on that in, in the background. Hopefully we get in touch with the NFL UK guys and, and chat about that to see what we can do. Uh, we literally want as many Packer bums and seats as we can at the game. And if not, what we'll be doing, Jeff, is we'll be organizing meetups all around the city. And that'll go out because we've got a massive Wisconsin contingent that are going to come over too. So it'll be just a melting pot of brats, cheese, curds, uh, you know, old fashions, which is the drink they uh, drink up in Wisconsin. And then, of course, uh, we want to organize events in Ireland as well because an awful lot of people won't be able to make the game. Um, And you know yourself, Jeff, I mean, half of it is really going over for the meetup before, right? That tailgating scenario, Regent Street and everything else. So, yeah, look, they can stay tuned to the UK Packers anyway because... And will you make an appearance, Jeff? Are you going to be around? I I tell you, that is certainly... I love every one of those games because they are, next to the Super Bowl, to me, the highlight of the NFL season. Yeah. But uh, to be at that one 
would be really, really special. I don't know what's going on with Sky yet, but golly, I'd, I'd certainly love to be be a part of it. Hey, let's let's uh, get back to right now. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the Packers right now. Mm-hmm. As as a guy who's tuned in and been through this a few more a few times previous, mm-hmm. give me your gut feeling about is Rogers going to be back in Packer green and gold, or will we see? you know, hmm. the change in the guard? I think he is. Um, it's a hard one uh, because an awful lot of people have been pretty hard on the Packers brass, Jeff. I mean, they've they've put Brian Gutekunst through the ringer um, lately. You know, there's this really weird sort of undercurrent sometimes that, you know, the Packers front office don't know what they're doing when I think they're some of the smartest people ever. And that applies to most NFL teams, as you'll know. I mean, some people get it drastically wrong. But I don't know. I, I think he thought he had the leverage last season when we spoke. You know, when he became MVP, he thought he would have the Packers then and say, look what I can do. You need to keep me around for an awful lot longer. Uh, but he had no choice but to retire uh, because he was never going to be traded based on the salary cap and everything else. I think it makes sense for the Packers because they know what they have in Rodgers. Because look, th- why did this situation come about, Jeff? It came about because Aaron Rodgers' play was seemingly dipping. And I know he said on the Pat McAfee show that you know his bad year is a good year for everybody else. Uh, he was playing with Mike McCarthy and effectively that relationship didn't work out. And Mike McCarthy was shown the door and people sort of were saying that that was Aaron Rodgers' fault, which was why, and it wasn't. But, the, the, you know, they were saying when he was critical of him in the media and stuff, you know, and then that's what they asked, would he get along with Matt LaFleur when they brought him in? I think it's really, it's a situation where it's a perfect storm, where you have Aaron Rodgers at the age he is, playing at the level he is, having that synergy with the team and Matt LaFleur. And I think that's some stardust that the Packers might want to hold on to, even at the expense of Jordan Love. Because one of the narratives that you always see is, can Gudekunst admit he was wrong with Jordan Love? But Gudekunst was asked before the draft, would you draft a quarterback? And he said, yeah, if there's one there. So this didn't come out of left field. In fact, we have a draft expert at the UK Packers called Peter Jones. He had Jordan Love in a little box in our draft guide to say, watch out for this guy if he's still on the board. So it wasn't as if it was that left field. And Gudekunst has shown before that he could draft somebody and let them go the year after. He's done it time and time again. He's not a guy who holds on to players for pride. So with that being said, I think potentially what they do is, and it was it's in a better situation this year, Jeff, I think, than it was last year. Because last year, the, the relationship between Rodgers and the GM, Gudekunst, was professional, right? And they asked the same guys now. Aaron Rodgers couldn't even utter Brian Gudekunst's name. Um, and, you know, now he's calling him Brian, he's giving him shout outs and he's saying that, you know, they have a great thing going on. I think they've proven to Rogers, and Rogers has proven to them that they can make this thing work. I think it makes sense that, and this will probably go on behind the scenes, that they give Aaron Rodgers an extension, one that allows him to potentially retire after a couple of years and they'll put void years on at the end of that contract and sort of front load, you know, his contract because he's going to get an awful lot of money. And they franchise tag or make that deal for Devontae Adams. But like what uh, Brian Gudekunst even said recently, it's a domino effect, isn't it, Jeff? I mean, Aaron has to come back and agree before Devontae will, you know, fall in line with that type of uh, stuff as well. And then everybody else will sign based on that. Because Rogers was right. He sounded egotistical, but he was right when he said is that people come to Green Bay to play with him, and they do. And we saw that happen. We saw Devondre Campbell say that. You know, people assume Devondre Campbell, who was an outstanding signing, you know, this guy became a pro bowler, all pro, and, you know, he was signed off the street. So they signed him and they asked, they, they sort of assumed, oh, he had no choice but to kind of, he's, you know, people didn't believe in him. But that wasn't the case. He, he, had, he had loads of offers, some higher, and he came to the Packers. So my good feeling is, is that Gudekunst is not too prideful to let go of Jordan Love, or at least 
kick that can down the road and see what happens. Because if you get back-to-back MVP seasons out of a quarterback, Jeff, and you smooth over the personal problems that allegedly existed, I don't see why not it doesn't work. The money is what it's going to come down to in the salary cap, which the Packers are working away on at the moment. Well, I'm going to tell you something. For me personally as a fan, I hope he never plays for another team. I know Michael's yeah. going to – Michael's probably beating his head against the wall <laughs> when I say that. But I just really would love to see him retire as a Packer. And, and yeah. um, you know, again, for you, outstanding job as always. It's a pleasure having you on the show and having Packer Nation represented on Coffee with Coach. Appreciate you, Steve. Thanks, Jeff. Great talking. All right, mate. Take care. Yep, that's Steve Diddy from – Packers, uh, Ireland and UK, and they are an outstanding group. If you're a Packer fan or if you're new to UK and, and love the green and gold, there's your guy. Go to go see him. Michael, welcome back. Welcome His back, accent's Michael. better than mine, isn't it? Pardon? You know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that, that was really good. It was interesting to hear uh, Steve's thoughts, not just on, obviously, yeah. the huge news today, but also um, A-Rod, Pat McAfee tomorrow, 6 o'clock. Uh, UK Ireland literally sitting I sat Jeff in my car last week with Pat McAfee's show on at six o'clock you are a, you Rogers are comes on laughing you are a Pat McAfee groupie I'm gonna just tell you like I've never seen a guy that's into Pat McAfee like you are here uh, I promise everyone the it's been really really good show Jeff I promised everyone earlier on that I'd read out everyone's thoughts on the games so obviously uh you, know, you mentioned that at the start of the show, Jeff, just while I get this loaded up, I'm talking here now. Incredible day for the NFL. If you think, I think Neil tweeted it, Jeff, from where this league has went internationally to now, it's it's incredible that the progress that they've made now. The Packers, obviously, the, the significance of that, I think, is the Saints only the second appearance as a home team. The Jaguars, a staple, Jeff, a staple of society now. Uh, the Bucks. That's a hell of it. Like, forget about Tom Brady. The Bucs is a home team and Munich is nuts. And the Cardinals. So, um, Jeffrey puts the tweet out earlier on. And you got a lot of replies, Jeff. Um, just as I'm putting it up here now, you got 20 replies. And well, let's hear what the tribe has to on. say. So, Louise McPherson, who is in Dublin, says, really surprised to see the Packers didn't think Green Bay would give up a home game. Question, what will they look like? Who will be the quarterback? Uh, I think as every day goes on, it's going to be Rogers. I really do. I think they'll have. I think they'll have the whole squad. I think Devontae will be there. I think Aaron Jones will be there. Woof! It'll be it'll be good to get a ticket for that. And um, Andy Burrows, who's a Washington fan in the UK, says Jags and Saints again, and put like a yawning thing. Now I'm going to say this now. If you look, and we should really get Henry on the show to confirm this. I don't know Henry Hodgson. I'm not sure. It seems Jeff as if it's going to be AFC NFC with this new game. Okay. So going by that, the Saints have to play the Bengals the Raiders or the Ravens. That's the only teams they can play. That's not, a, none of those teams are about, imagine, geez, imagine the Bengals. Oh my it's God. Gonna anyway. They're going to be a bad game in the, in the bunch. I'm just guaranteeing. Abbas, who is in the UK, says, coach, I need to find a way to travel to London to see my Saints play. I am excited. Uh, Freddie Harper Davis, who is in the UK as well. Uh, delighted for the Packers fans to finally see their team in the UK. Uh, looking forward to seeing the Saints and the cracking quarterback head coach combo in Jacksonville too, obviously with Doug Peterson there. Uh, their off-season is one I'm looking forward to watching very close, closely. The Mrs. J doesn't say where she's from on Twitter, but she's got a big Aaron Rodgers jersey on. So I presume she supports the Packers. I'm thrilled the Packers are coming to London. They will get an amazing reception from their loyal fans. Rakesh, who's a Patriots fan in the UK. Packers finally make the trip, but will it be Rodgers or Love taking the snaps? 
Packers fans won't care. He literally went on to say, Sean Freeman in England saying, amazing to have the Packers here in London, coach. The fan base here in the UK and Ireland cannot believe this day has finally come. Um, ISI, I think his name's Simon, never thought I would see the day the Packers would give up a home, a home game. Yeah, it's this this extra game, Jeff, is is really worked out wonders for all of us at, at this yeah. rate. It's 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 great. Um, a few more left. Richard Moorcroft, pleased to see the Packers. Um, can't can't see it would have happened without the seventeenth game requirement for every team. He thinks that he's only missing the Cowboys and Bills from his full set of watching. Again, uh, I'm not sure on the Jaguars because they opt to play in, but the AFC NFC new rule could be Cowboys against Jags and Wembley. I'm getting too worked up here. Uh, CFC Blue Boy, who I think is a Chelsea fan from England. Well done yesterday. Uh, no bills. And, and now we have that conversation, Jeff. Hard look at the weekend to, to your man, Bielsa. Oh, we, we, oh. We'll talk about that. And we haven't, had a show in, we haven't had a show in two weeks. That was a great game for Leeds last weekend, wasn't it? Uh, Shane O'Hanlon from Dublin. It's happening, Jeff. And he's got two hearts. One is gold, one is green. Rob, who's in England, been waiting a while for the Packers to come to the UK. Almost there. Duncan, so excited. Lorraine Taylor, finally get to see the Packers. Couldn't be more excited. Andrew Davies, uh, loving the capital letters in social media. Okay. <laughs> he literally said that. <laughs> he didn't say anything about the game. He just said that there. But uh, Jeff, a lot, and like this is the thing that I haven't really read out. A lot of people are asking on those questions, what's your thoughts on this? Because this is, uh, if, if you look at the games pre-COVID, this, this, is, a big, this is a big improvement, yeah? I, I I don't see uh, I don't see a bad game coming. I really don't. I think that you know the way you talked about the you know will be interesting to see how it plays itself out. But you know if if, if you get the Cincinnati Bengals in town or if you get the Raiders in, uh, you're gonna get you're gonna get great players and you're gonna get a great game. And it's just it's just the way it is. So I I think it's a win win all the way around. A huge win for all of us in Europe that follow the game and internationally to follow the game. Peter King said this morning, just finally as well, Jeff, that his understanding is that the new marketing agreement means that the teams in Germany, for example, you've got the, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Bucks, and the Panthers, that over the next four years, each one of those years, each of, or one of those teams will have to play a home game. So the first one now is the Bucks. Uh, so it could be the Patriots, for example, in Frankfurt next year, the Chiefs in Munich, and then the Panthers in Frankfurt in, in alternate years, and then it refreshes. So if it goes like that in London, it's going to be it's going to be exciting because you got the Bears, the Vikings, 49ers. Um, we're definitely in for better games, which is great, um, and it's a win-win. Here you've got a new set, you've got new new graphics, all good. All good. It's all good, my brother. It's all good. Any final word? Anything you want me to do here? All good. Yeah. Well, are you are we gonna get uh we got a couple new segments that we're trying to get into the show the my hawaii segment's gonna have to wait a little bit do we have the from the meeting room segment ready or is that is that on next week too we have we've got a segment where, where, where you're talking about uh, a play in the nfl if you give me two wee seconds we can just talk for just a wee second jeff just while we're on it but yes that's my bad it's my bad that that segment is not there yet uh, but we, the one thing that i really enjoy jeff whenever you were back over here again was your telestrations um just as a fan watching it it really makes the game insightful i think uh i'm not sure what team this is but i'm gonna put it on it maybe the rams if it's not don't hit me all good to put it on yeah yeah put it on let's go just a little bit oh. of just a little tease a little taste of ball from you and we're gonna call this segment from the from the meeting room and it's a chance to break down some you know nfl action as i would as an analyst 
Uh, video credits, Sky Sports, NFL, uh, Coffee Girl Coaches, no association with the National Football League. Yes. Let's put the spotlight on our boy, Jamar Chase. You know, last year at this time, the Bengals were making a decision about what they're going to do with their first round draft choice. A lot of people said, you got to take an offensive lineman and protect Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow said, uh-uh. Don't worry about the offensive line. Give me Jamar Chase, my college teammate. And here's the reason why. I want you to watch him on this route and how he not only makes a reception, but he, unlike Cup, he can take these short catches and turn them into big, big games. 266 yards against the Chiefs last time. And let's show you why. All right. Again, just like we showed you with Cup, it's all about where you put your eyes as a receiver. So you're not going to see him look at the safety just like Cup did, except the safety was inside with Cup. Now he's outside versus Chase. And what that tells him is that there is going to be a low player outside of him. So the corner will play the flat and the linebacker will play the hook. So now as he comes off the line of scrimmage, he takes an angle to keep himself free of the collision by the corner. Watch how he's going to come out and come downhill and stay available to his quarterback. There's a great job of reading zone coverage, and then it's all about his speed. He's like Dodgens getting through yeah, those plays. He, well, he's got that straight line speed that allows him to, 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 to make those explosive plays and stuff. He, he has no right to run past six or, or seven defend, defenders there. Like. That's you, Jeff. Just, just a little bit of taste of why uh, that young man is one of the great young players in the National Football League, DeMar Chase. And, you know, again, it's one thing to watch these guys play. And you, obviously, we recognize they're fantastic players. But just the little subtle things that they do. And I love, as an analyst, to be able to bring those things to you. And we're going to do that each week here on Coffee with Coach. Michael, it's yeah. been a great first edition of Season 2. I appreciate you like crazy, my man. We will be back next week. We're going to talk running backs, right? We're going to have a My Hawaii section. We're going to bring a fan, we'll bring fans on, and we are going to go into, into the meeting room one more time and take a look at how the game is played at the highest level here on Coffee with Coach. Yes, sir. See you guys next week. Yeah, thanks a million. Aloha, man. Take care.